Let us pray. Jesus, you are indeed king, and we do honor you today. We pray, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified in this sermon, in this worship, that your name would go forth and people would know that, it is the, that yours is the only name in heaven and on earth that saves. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, last week we began our sermon series, Walk in the Light, Lessons from 1 John. Together, we looked at the prologue of John's letter, saying that Jesus and the message he preached are tangible and real. And that's good news for us because his gospel brings us fellowship, joy, and life. As we continue this week, John begins to build on that foundation. He expands on the content of the message that he was given and now proclaims. In doing so, he provides further clarity on the gospel. What becomes clear is that this is a message of immense importance, and it needs to be taken seriously. It's not a message about secondary things, but of crucial life and eternity-changing realities. So let's dive right in together. Let's waste no time. You can follow along either in your study booklet or in the insert that we put in your bulletin. Let's take a look at 1 John together. John begins to give clarity on the gospel by starting with who the gospel is really about. He starts with God. Now, just to be clear here, friends, I love you. Jesus loves you. We all matter. But God is who scripture is about, not us. And so that is who John starts with, with God. Telling the people that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That's a beautiful statement, isn't it? That's one of those scriptures that we want to put on a plaque and sit on our desk, or we post on social media so we can get a bunch of likes. We love that sort of scripture. But what does it mean that God is light? Well, when John talks about light, he uses it as a metaphor for holiness. By calling God light, he is saying he is perfect and holy. Darkness, on the other hand, is a metaphor for sinfulness and evil. So the message that he was given and now proclaims is first and foremost about the character of God. That is where clarity on the gospel begins, with God. And John says that God's character is all about holiness. He is so perfect and holy that sin can have no part with him. Let's think about this for a second. God is calling people to himself, to have relationship with him and reflect him to the world. That being the case... If that which is sinful cannot be in relationship with God, that should tell us that sin's a major problem. It's not something that can be ignored. It needs to be dealt with. It needs to be taken seriously. And God certainly does that. How do we see it? Jump to the end of the passage. We're not going to bury the lead this week. We'll get right to it. 1 John 2, verse 2. He, speaking of Jesus, he is the propitiation for our sins. 
Propitiation is one of those big theological words, and it's a critical one. It means the sacrifice which pays the penalty. It's the sacrifice that satisfies the wrath of God. Now, the wrath of God is not something that people typically like to talk about. But just because we bristle at it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. The wrath of God, let me assure you, friends, is very real. In the book of Romans alone, chapters 1, 2, 5, and 12 all touch on the wrath of God. It may make us uncomfortable, but the truth is the wrath of God is good news for the people of God because it tells us how seriously God takes sin. And we will not know God's pure love unless we first understand his wrath. God is so perfect and holy that sin cannot have any part with him. And that means God can't be in relationship with anyone or anything that is sinful. And so his wrath is poured out against sin. Think about it this way. Those of you who are parents or teachers or really spend any time with young kids at all, when they would do something dangerous or mean or they would lie to you, that would impair your relationship with them, wouldn't it? You'd be so frustrated and angry with them because of what they did. Yet your frustration was not born out of malice, but out of love. Any decent parent wants what's best for their child, and so the anger we feel about their poor decisions and actions is not evil, but loving. Now take what you may have felt in that moment, and crank it up as high as you possibly can imagine. You still won't even get there, but still try. That is what sin is like for a perfect God. That is what the wrath of God is like. And yet, rather than let us sit and stew in our sin as we deserved, rather than make us face his wrath, he moved to deal with sin through Jesus offering himself as a propitiation. On the cross, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, the perfect offering to satisfy the justifiable and holy wrath of God. And it happened because God takes sin seriously, but he also takes love and forgiveness seriously. So the question that we have before us to start today is, do you take your sin seriously? Does it matter to you? John tells us that, broadly speaking, people do not take their sin nearly seriously enough. And we actually see that in the rest of our passage. You see, John tells us that taking the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man seriously is meant to affect us. But we don't always respond the way that we should. The first example of this is in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This is the person who claims to be in relationship with Jesus and yet walks or lives. That's what walk means here. That's what it's a metaphor for, living. They walk or live in sin, continued sin. This is the person who could know all the right answers. You could put a theological test in front of them and they're going to ace it. They've gone to church their whole lives. 
They grew up going to Christian schools, having Christian friends, and yet with all of that, their life has not been changed at all. They live in a way that is completely indistinguishable from the rest of the world. On Sunday, they're singing all the songs and they're reciting all the liturgy, and on Monday, they're lying about their coworker so that they can get a promotion. Or they're gossiping about the person that they just shook hands with in the passing of the peace. They know all about God, but they don't know God. That was me through most of my 20s, by the way. Claiming to love Jesus and then living in a way that did not reflect him at all. To be in a genuine relationship with Jesus, though, means having our darkness, our sin exposed by his light. It means being affected by our relationship with him. It means being changed. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Genuine relationship with Jesus means walking with him. Having the way we live brought more in line with how he desires us to live. And that means having our sinful hearts and habits changed. And so we have to ask ourselves, those of us who count ourselves as Christians, has our relationship with Jesus changed us at all? If it hasn't, if we're still the same person, we need to be honest about that. We need to be honest about whether we know about him or if we actually know him. Have we given intellectual assent to the truth claims of Jesus without ever actually submitting our lives to him? John Stott points out for us that the effect of light is not just to make men see, but to enable them to walk. Right conduct, not just clear vision, is the benefit which light bestows. A great way to find out if we're walking in the light is by looking at our relationships. John tells us that walking in the light means that we have fellowship with one another. We can see if God is changing us by looking at the way we interact with one another, at whether our relationships are God-honoring or sinful. Genuine fellowship with other Christians helps us to walk in the light. For years, I've been part of uh, what I call accountability groups. They're groups of four or five guys. We get together, we pray together, read scripture, share our lives with one another. And the group was there to encourage one another, but also to hold each other to account when we're doing sinful things, when we're not living as we should. I have grown uh, just a huge amount, like an indescribable amount from being a part of these groups. It's been life-changing for my walk with Christ. And even though I don't live anywhere near any of the guys that I'm in a group with, they still pray for me. They still hold me to account when I don't act like I should. And I know that for the rest of my life, we're all going to be there to play that role for one another. For the rest of my life, they'll be there to help me walk in the light and me for that. Do you have anyone in your life like that for you? Anyone that can disciple you or mentor you? Someone who can model maybe what walking in the light looks like as a retired person? 
or model it in a healthy marriage or relationships, what it's like to be walking in the light as a parent. These are life-changing groups. They certainly have been for me. It's something I'd love to build here at St. Aidan's. If that's something that you desire, I'd love to talk more with you about that. I'd love to work with you to get those going here. They do change lives. Fellowship with other Christians matters. Being in fellowship with other Christians is one of the ways the Holy Spirit moves to show us where we've changed or where we need to change. Now, I'm not talking about sitting around and analyzing every passing second of our lives. That would be very not helpful. We're talking about trend lines. Where have you seen change in the last month, six months, year, five, ten, whatever the time period is? It's helpful to note here that when this verse talks about the blood of Christ cleansing, the verb there to cleanse is in the perfect tense. That means it's a completed act with lasting effect. It means that while Christ's sacrifice on the cross was a once-for-all justifying event, it continues to have effect. Over time, we are sanctified by his blood. We are changed to be more like Jesus. And taking God's holiness seriously means being changed by it. So if we look back over the years and we see no change in our lives, that is something we have to be honest about. There's another way that we show we don't take God's holiness seriously. It's found in verses 8 and 10. Verse 8 tells us, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 10 is very similar. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And verse 8, sin is in the singular. What's in mind here, in view here, is sin as, a, as an idea, as a concept or a, a structure. It's saying that sin itself does not exist. In verse 10, it's saying, oh no, sin exists, I just haven't committed any. I've never sinned before. Both views of sin make God out to be a liar. The witness of scripture is quite clear that sin exists and that all people sin. Another doctrine that people don't really like to talk about is the doctrine of original sin. But again, our discomfort with it does not prevent it from being true. All people are born in sin. Because of the fall, all of our hearts are bent towards choosing sin over holiness. In his book, Orthodoxy, G.K. Chesterton quips for us that original sin is the only part of Christian theology which can really be proved. You want evidence for it? Again, parents, teachers, anyone who's spent time around kids. How many kids that you've been around needed to be taught how to lie? How many kids needed to be taught to take a toy from another one or to hurt somebody in anger? How many kids needed to be taught how to be selfish or rebellious? Right? None. Sin is in us from the beginning. And to deny that is to call God, call God a liar. And it betrays a stunning lack of self-awareness. And that's usually born out of one, of one of two things. The first being straight up pride. 
pastor who discipled me when I was a young believer told me that if I'm looking for something to confess and I can't find anything, I'm either not really looking or it's time to confess my pride. If we think so highly of ourselves that we believe there is nothing wrong with us, why would we need Jesus? We're never going to think we need him. It's telling Jesus that he can go and worry about other people. We're just fine, thank you very much. We don't need you. I'm hopeful that those of us gathered here today can see the flaw in that approach. If that sounds good to you, please come and talk to me afterwards. The second one's a little sneakier, and it can be far more dangerous. It's pretending we have no sin because we are terrified that it is too much for God to handle. We act like it's not there because we think our sin is so bad that there is no way out of it for us. We begin to self-justify. We call sin just normal behavior. It's not sin at all. Lying to our friend or spouse, oh, that's, that's not really a sin because really the truth would just hurt them more. Come up with excuses for our sin because we feel trapped by it. We feel locked in guilt and shame, and we don't really believe that God could forgive us or provide a way out for us. But John's direct. When we do that, we make God a liar. Either way, either one of these approaches, we say we have no sin, and so either way, we say we don't need God. We tell God he's not really loving or forgiving enough for us. We put limits on his grace, and it's sad, really. The ironic part of it all is that hiding our sin always just makes the problem worse. We try to keep our sin hidden in darkness, but nothing hidden in darkness will ever get better because darkness cannot abide with God. And the truth is we all have sin in our one New Testament scholar put it this way, For all of us, sin is not merely a past memory, but also a present reality. We must face it. But when we face it, we can be overwhelmed. We must face it and then run to Jesus. We must take sin seriously, and we must also take God's forgiveness seriously. And that right there is the problem of not taking God's holiness seriously enough. If we don't take his holiness seriously enough, we will never take his forgiveness and love seriously enough. It's why I started by saying if we never understand the wrath of God, we'll never understand the love of God. God loved us enough that he sent his son to be the propitiation, the perfect offering for our sin. That is how seriously he takes our relationship with him. That is how deep and far his love and forgiveness goes. We think God reveals our sin because he is cold and mean, but the exact opposite is true. John models this for us in this passage. He calls the people his little children. He is a spiritual father who loves his children and wants to see them not sin anymore, and so he calls their sinfulness what it is. He doesn't ignore it or lower the standard. And he does it so that they can know that God is too loving to not shine his light on us, to leave us to just sit in our darkness. 
His light shines in the dark corners of our hearts, and his holiness reveals our sinfulness, and then he provides the way out. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God calls us to repentance, to ask him to change our hearts, to forgive us and help us walk in his light. We need not be afraid of confessing our sin because he has promised to forgive it. And he can do that because he has provided Jesus for us. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You see, when we sin, and we will all sin, and we have all sinned, and we will all continue to sin, when we sin, it impairs our relationship with our Holy Father. It's like a fog that descends, and so we can't really see him through it. But Jesus is our advocate. He's our helper. He's our sure defense. He stands on the other side of the fog. He stands before the Father and makes intercession for us. And he doesn't do it by saying, hey, you know what? Don't worry about their sin. It's not a big deal, really. It really is a big deal. Rather than that, he says, Father, forgive them. And he can do that because of his sacrifice for us. He doesn't stand before the Father and start listing off all the good things we've done to earn our way in. The list would be far too short and far too ineffective. He stands before him and points to his sacrifice for us. He stands before him and shows the truth that he is faithful and just. That his blood has paid the penalty for our sins. That his blood cleanses our sins. Friends, is there a sin in our lives that we're not confessing? Is there a sin in your life that you think is beyond the love of God? John tells us that Jesus' sacrifice paid for the sins of the whole world. Are we taking our sins seriously enough to confess it to him? Are we just paying lip service to him? Acting like we're repenting, but never really desiring the heart change that he desires for us. Clarity on the gospel means getting clarity on who God is, and that has implications for our lives. Clarity on the gospel shows us that God is holy and he takes sin seriously, but his love and forgiveness are there for us as well if we would confess it and genuinely repent of it, not just mouth it on Sunday so we can go running back to it on Monday. By his light, he changes us so that we might live in a way that pleases him and lines up with the faith we profess to have. He frees us from fear and guilt and pride and sin as we come to truly and genuinely know it. And he does it because God the Father provided his son to be the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. That is life-changing truth right there. It's the truth that is meant to change every part of us, and it is the truth that our walk, our life with Jesus is founded on. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are light, that in you there is no darkness. Thank you that you have provided a way for our sins to be forgiven. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal our sin to us now, that we might genuinely repent, that we might offer it to you, and you would take it from us. Father, maybe for those of us who have never confessed our need for you, we would do that now, that we would cry out to Jesus to save us, to heal us, to restore us, to help us walk in his light. For we know that that's what you desire for us. We thank you, we praise you for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.